following podcast is scheduled for one fall. Hailing from the Pro Wrestling Tees headquarters in Chicago, Illinois, they are your hosts of the PWT cast, Scrub and Bank! Bang, bang, what is up, you guys? Welcome to episode 81 of the PWT cast. My name is Scrump. And this is Stank. This is the official podcast of Pro Wrestling Tees. We come to you every Monday with a brand new episode. Uh, if you already aren't, make sure you're following us over on Twitter and Instagram. We're at PWTCast. You can find our social medias there as well. And then, hey, if you're enjoying these episodes and you're in a good mood, uh, go leave us a five-star review. That really helps, especially right now, since there's uh, a million other podcasts out there. Uh, helps with the algorithm, helps people find us. Uh, but, Dave, I found myself uh, in a particularly very nostalgic place this week. Um, for, oh, first off, happy Valentine's. Um, you know, everyone. yeah, happy Valentine's day to all the hunky boys and hunky girls out there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I found myself particularly nostalgic because of WandaVision. Uh, for those of you, well, first off, I have two WandaVision stories. My first one is uh, a friend of the show, Vivian, who, if you want to hear some more, uh, you know, Sunday, Today, as of this recording, there's a, a bonus episode with her, uh, my friend Alejandra, and my friend uh, Diana as well, a little Galentine's, Valentine's Day episode. Um, but you can go check that out. It's kind of just, I don't know, just a bunch of, you know, a bunch of gals just gabbing about. Uh, but uh, she messaged me uh, like Saturday, I think it was, or Sunday. Um, and it's like a screenshot of her it's a picture of her television and it says wandavision but i'm like looking at this and i'm like that doesn't look like episode one of wandavision uh and long story short uh she uh, had a jailbroken fire stick was trying to watch wandavision um after taking an edible and so she sat there for about 45 minutes and was like man this is really good like what the fuck is Scrum talking about? Because, uh, you know, she's like, I, I voiced my opinion on how I felt about the first few episodes of yeah. uh, WandaVision. Uh, it turned out she was watching The Wire. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, some people got really high on edibles and uh, watched The Wire instead of WandaVision, but not myself. Uh, I stayed up late like I always do to watch WandaVision. And the look on my face it was almost as if i was sprayed by uh the joker's smilax gas um they re- it was it was a malcolm in the middle episode like yep. uh, how uh, how like do you like malcolm in the middle was it like malcolm in the middle a show that you watched oh yeah no i i liked it a lot of course to a lot of people it was the introduction to uh the brilliant uh brian cranston mm-hmm. who's going on you know to bigger and better things but uh yeah, I always thought uh, Malcolm in the Middle was pretty, pretty spot on. Even though like it was like a heightened reality, but like it gave you the feeling of what it was like to have siblings and you know maybe a slightly dysfunctional middle of the road middle class family, uh, and it it was great. Yeah, I was so I was so happy with like from the opening credits. I was like, no, yeah, no, and then they they do they just straight up do the whole format where uh you know you see the kids talking into the camera the way frankie muñez would and yeah it was great like listen this whole these last few episodes of wandavision have been so good um it bumps me out there's only about i think like there's allegedly four they they're for sure three allegedly four episodes left um but no man this show is this show is getting 
intense. Like, um, yeah, like I, I'm, I'm wondering, and again, sorry, spoilers for those of you who haven't watched WandaVision. There'll be a little bit spoiler, and then we'll get we're going to be spoiling it every week. We're going to be spoiling it every week. I, yeah, I apologize. There, yeah, there, there won't ever be a week where we're just like very vague and coy about things. Um, but like at this point, based on everything that happened, like an Avenger has to show up next week, right? Like, uh, you know, it's if it was just this little town at first that was kind of like being taken over, that's one thing. But like at this point, the hex has grown so substantially larger that like Doctor Strange or someone who signed the Sokovia Accords has to show up, right? Yeah, I mean, you'd think so. so there's been a lot of speculation as to, you know, uh, Paul Bettany said that there is a major, one more major cameo, and, and so did uh, Elizabeth Olsen. But like, apparently it's a guy, because that's what, Paul Bettany said and it's someone that he's been meaning to work with for a while Mm -hmm. and so you know a lot of people have said oh it can't be Doctor Strange they were in the movies together but they were never actually together in the movies so Benedict Cumberbatch could be one Um, I think I mean or I hope at least that maybe a Michael Fosbender Magneto shows up with white hair that'd be sweet Um, but yeah you would think this is an event big enough where uh, it would require a team like the Avengers. And so um, if any Avenger shows up, it's probably going to be Dr. Strange. Don't you think? Well, yeah, especially because it's set up the movie. Yeah. It's, it's supposed to set up the movie and um, yeah, like there's a bunch of spooky shit going on and yeah. he's kind of like the herder of all the spooky shit that goes on in uh, the MCU. Yeah. So I'm fully expecting Dr. Strange to show up if, if, again, if not like some sort of high tier Avenger, or uh, I will uh, excuse my crassness, shit my pants if Magneto shows up to be the one to like, oh. all right, <sighs> Daddy's got to fucking get a hold of this. Um, yeah. It'll just be very interesting, and it's awesome. Like uh, I, I'm, I'm very much loving the team of uh, Darcy Wu and um, what's her face? Rambo. Yeah, Monica Rambeau. Like. Yeah, I think that's to me what was missing from the first few episodes was like, like someone to like an actual story that I could relate to and kind of just like, okay, this is this is what's going on. Um, but no, man, I'm I'm, I'm so excited about that. Uh, well, yeah, much much has been said too. I mean, you you know, you're one person that didn't like the the first probably three or four episodes. I'm of the personal belief you kind you needed that one to show what a perfect life would have been in her brain. Mm-hmm. And then like, as the episodes are progressing, you see it going off the rails more and more and more. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it sucks, but sometimes you got to eat your vegetables before you get the beef, you know, <laughs> and they're uh, giving us the beef right now. Oh, definitely. So I've got, and we'll, we'll wrap it up with this, the uh, one division talk, but I've got a theory. Um, yeah. Because everyone last week, the whole talk of the wrestling and uh, you know, Wandavision was the Forbidden Door has been opened, um, which I've heard. I there's listen, there's gonna be some wrestling talk on yeah. this. Uh, there's gonna be some wrestling talk on the PWT podcast for once, for the first time ever, for the first time ever. <laughs> but I'll, and I'll get to that because this Forbidden yeah. Door has been opened. Um, I don't think this is Quicksilver from the Fox movies. Uh, no, I don't either. Yeah, mainly because um, 
there's like the earlier scenes where uh and again it could be okay so i'll first i'll first i'll get to why um when he's like referencing their childhood them being kids and like oh remember when our mom dressed us up as like uh you know like fucking weirdos or whatever and like he he keeps referencing their childhood in the fox uh marvel movies um quicksilver wasn't a twin or you know pietro and wanda they weren't twins like they very specific there's like a very specific scene where he talks about his little sister and like you see her as a child um so they were clearly not twins they you know they, they weren't of the same age um so it wouldn't make sense unless unless he's been imbued with the memories of the other pietro that right. he would be referencing their childhood because you know he knows he has a sister um and he is well and even still whatever he's saying wanda's like i don't remember that at all exactly yeah so i i very much think that as much as they kind of tease the forbidden door that door never fucking opened they were just playing haha on us by uh, casting evan peters or or maybe it is maybe it is you know a different quicksilver it is that quicksilver because and I, I think Mephisto's behind all of this. So I think Mephisto pulled that Quicksilver out because he's like, I need to convince her that um, that's Quicksilver. And he and he is. He has the same powers. He's doing the same shit, you know, the other Quicksilver did. It's just it's a different person. And he, he's, you know, bringing up all these other memories. Um, but I definitely, yeah, I, I definitely don't think that that is um, the Fox Quicksilver. Right. If, if it's... That's one, yeah. Yeah, and listen, if it turns out to be true, awesome. I love Evan Peters. I like of those newer X Men movies, he was probably along with like Michael Fassbender and the like Charles Xavier, probably one of the only like characters that I like because all the other ones are just kind of, you know. Well, I I have I'm not sure how fully formed my opinion is yet. I think maybe the sword guys have something to do with him showing up. Because, mm-hmm. again, you know, Monica mentions, uh, oh, your your brother Pietro, and then they have the whole, you know, her and Vision have the discussion where she's like, you think I'm doing everything? And then he shows up, and she looks shocked. And clearly, like, if she was going to make her brother, it would be, you know, the Marvel Universe brother. And then the guy's also asking her very pointed questions like, oh, how'd you do this? And uh, how did this all start? And like, hey, I like what you're doing. How are you controlling all these people? You know, he's like asking stuff that maybe S.W.O.R.D. would be asking her. So that doesn't explain his powers. But um, I don't know. No, I I, I get what you mean. To me, it's definitely not. Quicksilver, and also besides that, I don't know if you caught it, but they made a kick-ass reference, which was beautiful because, <laughs> you know, the the MCU uh, Pietro was kick-ass, and uh, the current one was his friend in kick-ass, and they they very pointedly said kick-ass twice, which I thought was a nice nod. So yeah, I, I definitely caught that as well. Uh, it was fun, but. Um yeah man it's it's fun what's going on over there you know a lot of a lot of interesting things that are going on um but speaking of interesting things going on uh 
Zack Snyder's uh, Justice League, man, it's it's coming. I think it's like March seventeenth, yeah. maybe something like fourteenth, maybe. It comes out the day yeah. before Falcon and Winter Soldier. I know that much. But literally, right before that, we started recording, I watched the the new trailer that they had for it, and I know you went and uh, peeped that trailer as well. Um, yeah. If you guys haven't, go ahead and check it out. I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, it's it's just like some new stuff. Um, of a cameo at the end of someone um but i at this point i'm just like just give it to me already you know like let's talk about it i've heard it so many times let's let's get to it yeah like yeah. just fuck it just i just want to see it you know like well not only that but like i constantly hear news about it like sex Snyder reveals new snippet and it's the same like hallelujah trailer like every two weeks someone's like new and i'm like it's not new i've seen this like 14 times but yeah, they, we also got a you know for some of you Dark Knight Returns fans, we got a small glimpse of the Dark Knight Returns tank that he uses in the battle against the mutants. They kind of flash it for a second, like it has like a bat a bat head on the front, and you see like a split second glimpse of it to kind of confirm what it is. So that'll be pretty interesting to see what he's doing with that. But well, we'll see. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. I'm excited for that because again, like. It, how, however you feel, um, you know about fucking uh, the uh, Justice League Snyder Cut, whatever the case may be. Um, like I, I'm excited for it. If you don't want to watch like this, yeah. yeah. If, listen, if you don't want to watch this like four hour epic, by all means, don't. Um, but I, partic- I'm particularly excited about it. Um, so you know interesting to see what's to come but yeah like it's at this point just fucking give it to me already like i don't you know uh kind of how you mentioned earlier like sometimes you gotta eat your you know your veggies before you get your beef um i've been eating veggies for quite a while now so just uh for years (laughs) yeah for a few years now you've been giving me exclusively veggies so uh bring on that beef uh but speaking of beef and i will you know oh you know what We'll we'll talk about that after the interview, but uh, just so we can, I, I need to get this off off my chest because I actually just I forgot to mention it. So uh, this being the pro wrestling tease podcast, we should talk a little bit of wrestling. Um, sure, you know we talked about the Forbidden Door. So my buddy sent me this article uh, because like wrestlers are just starting to fucking show up everywhere, you know, uh, like the team of. Uh, uh finley finley's kid and uh, juice robinson they're apparently showing up in impact which is uh, which is like oh okay that's you know that's pretty cool um but according to Meltzer, the quote is they are all in business it's all open now okada is coming i don't know where or when but he is officially coming and others that's what i heard too and others are coming too yeah so it's happened listen i'm thinking I'm thinking we're going to get Omega versus Kota Ibushi, which is, you know. I mean, I can't wait. Dude, so, like, funny enough, um, my buddy, uh, Braden Harrington, he's been been talking about it for a while now, like, the, uh, how, you know, this, the end game, the end game, if if you're comparing everything to movies, the end game is Kota Ibushi uh, versus Kenny Omega. You know, Kenny Omega has this whole belt collector gimmick that was a little bit more prevalent. Um, yeah. You know, but like, like Impact has a pay per view going on either this week or next weekend. 
Um, it might have already happened. I'm not too sure. But uh, like Tommy Dreamer is wrestling for the title. Listen, I think Tommy Dreamer is winning that belt. And then I think Kenny Omega is fucking taking it off Tommy Dreamer. Because I don't think they want Rich Swan to lose to Kenny Omega, which right. would clearly be the better match. Um, but like, I think Kenny's going to start collecting more belts. And, you know, Coda already has the IWGP and Intercontinental, Intercontinental Championship. Like, if the ultimate endgame is Kenny with all these belts coming for, you know, the last one, the elusive, you know, IWGP title, like, oh, God, that would just. That would be fun, man. It's so much more fun when all these wrestling companies decide to be nice and play with each other, you know? Well, and, and that's the thing, too. Like, for however many years many of us have grown up watching wrestling, there's always been, like, sly references to down in Atlanta or those guys up in New York, and it's like you don't even mention them. And then Eric Bischoff kind of broke that up a little bit in the Monday Night Wars, and then... WWE started monopolizing like the larger wrestling space and it's always been like oh what about this dream we could have and like people wanted Sting versus Undertaker but it just couldn't happen and so you know and we've talked about it pretty much since the beginning of our podcast like the idea of uh, all in where <laughs> you know at one point we thought oh man this maybe could be like the Super Bowl of all the wrestling promotions that aren't WWE I mean, it it's kind of seems like those seeds are coming to bear now where, why not? What, what does it hurt another promotion to have talent featured on there? It gives them a boost. It gives, you know, a little bit of a talent exchange. And you're not burnt out by seeing the same matchups over and over again. And, like, all these guys, you know... It reminds me of a line in Planet of the Apes. Apes together strong, right? <laughs> like... <laughs> get all these fuckers together and like it's harder to break a bundle of sticks than it is one stick you know so just the idea of all these really big mega matchups happening interpromotionally some of the most interesting wrestling discussions that we've had in decades so I mean yeah, and I like would love to see she versus Omega for like title versus title or maybe he's just going for the IWGP heavyweight but like holy shit, like, the build-up to that, that's going to be the talk of the wrestling industry. Well, like, even with, like, wrestling, what sucks right now is, like, if you look at WWE, they have the deepest roster ever. And it right. just continually, continuous, continuously grows, you know? Yeah. Like, under, you know, think about it, under, the, under one umbrella, they've got talents such as, like, Johnny Gargano, Shinsuke Nakamura, Walter, like, just, there's, like, such these great talents that like don't get fully utilized and like as excited as we get for these like potential crossovers like wwe can very much like put on those kinds of shows you know like they could very much put, like get that same hype but it's just complacentness and laziness that they don't you know like there's uh, there's no reason why like you can't put on these sorts of like dream matches with you know with your aj styles and you know your 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 edges like there's so many people but they just again they get lazy they they get complacent but it's very exciting when you see other companies like putting in you know putting in the effort and hey, listen if they also start crossing over you know hey ring of honor is right there too you know yep um well and that's the thing about wwe too is that uh they have such a rob roster depth and they have more 
programming hours per week than ever before. And we're, we're kind of seeing the same things happen, even to the point where they're bringing in people like Goldberg. You know, it's like, however you feel about that. Like, I do believe Legends Nostalgia does have its place in that world. But, like, you know, what was the point of bringing him in to lose? Yeah. <laughs> he gets a big payday, but, like, nothing was gained. Drew, Drew McIntyre doesn't look any better because he beat an old guy. And if he lost, he would look like shit. And so, like, could you could you imagine if WWE was on board with this whole thing, interpromotionally, like, the, the incredible, crazy things? Like, we see stars like like AJ and Nakamura, and sometimes, because just because of where they are and the schedule that they have, they're, they're going through the motions. You see, like, the same seven moves, five moves, and then, you know, it's a WWE-style pro- production but can you imagine if they were a part of something like this like the amount of inspiration we would see them wrestling with i mean it's probably just a dream scenario at this point because i don't think wwe's gonna allow other wrestling companies to shine compared to them but like can you imagine if everyone was in on this it would be the greatest thing ever for for kenny omega to show up on smackdown and fucking hit the one-winged angel on roman reigns like It'd be it'd be it'd be massive. It'd be huge. You could you could have months of sh- of programming based on that, just antagonizing and different factions from different promotions. It's it'll never happen, but I mean, outside of that WWE bubble, it's happening and it's exciting. Listen, man, ultimate dream scenario for me. All right, uh, Kenny Omega issues an open challenge, and the one person for you know any wrestler, any company, and that wrestler is Brody King. Uh, <laughs> you know. And then that kind of leads us to this week's episode. Uh, this week's episode is going to be a special one. This week and next week are going to be two special episodes. Um, as you know, at the at next month, we'll have uh, the PWTCast Patreon that we'll be launching. And there will be more next week with, like, as, you know, like pricing and, and tiers and stuff like that. Um, but this week, we kind of wanted to give you a little preview. Uh, we've done movie reviews in the past, but uh, movie reviews is going to be something a lot more frequent here. But not just movie. And that's kind of where we get to. Uh, it's going to be this inaugural episode of uh, Scrump and Stang Family Video. Uh, you know, it's just, it's to us, you know, I think speaking for the both of us, one of, one of the better things of our childhood was being able to go to a video store and just okay. discovering, you know, all kinds of things like all kind of you know a movie you'd never heard of or a tv show that like same thing you just you'd never heard of and it was always just so exciting and that's kind of the concept that we're bringing with this you know scrump and stang's family video uh just you know hey sometimes we're gonna be reviewing movies sometimes uh uh tv shows hey you know what you could even rent video games at uh these uh video stores so maybe we've been talking video games uh but we sat down this week with brody king and kind of discussed uh not in too much depth, but just discussed enough. Um, Kill Bill, uh, Kill Bill Volume One. You know, Quentin Tarantino's one of his greatest films, and uh, it was it was a lot of fun. Like we we did that thing where you and I, when we uh, who was it with with Nick when we were talking about House of a Thousand Corpses, <laughs> where like. We tried. We to, went into the other movies. <laughs> yeah, we we tried to not review like the the other movie, and there's definitely some Kill Bill two talk as well, but like. I don't know. I don't. I can't imagine after 16, 17 years, anyone listening to this and like still having not seen Kill Bill, but listening to this regardless. Uh, yeah. You know, but it, it's a lot of fun. And like, listen, we love Brody King here at the PWT cast. Um, 
hopefully we get a lot more of him, you know, um, because again, like it's just whenever the three of us set, you know, sit down, it's just like, you know, a couple of chatty Cathy's that just want to just talk movies and just, just have fun. But yeah, let's, uh, without any further ado, let's go ahead and get into this week's episode with none other than Brody King. Dave, on this inaugural episode of Scrub and Stank Family Video, no, PWT Cast Family Video, yeah. we're still, yeah. We're working on it. We're working on it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, we kind of shot, we kind of shot around ideas like what, first off, what should we uh, watch? What should we talk about? Right. Because all you and I do anyway is just talk about movies. And we figured, you know what, let's, let's release this a day after Valentine. And then there came the problem. Well, would you know, Sleepless in Seattle. Yeah, something uh, nice and romantic. The Notebook. Then I thought one of the most romantic movies I could think about was Kill Bill. And we're going to talk Kill Bill. Of course, we have to bring on a former guest, friend of the show. Uh, You know, he's a former Ring of Honor tag team champion, NWA World tag team champion. Uh, He's a lead vocalist in a band God's Hate. Uh, But to us, he's just, he's our buddy Brody. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, without any further ado, uh, Brody King. Brody, how are you doing? What's up, guys? Glad to be back on the show. Yeah. Yeah, man. I gotta say the episode that we did with you—that's that's a very Super popular fun. one. Yeah, everyone. Like I know you just recently recorded with uh, Andrew Thompson, and like I think it was after our episode, he was just like, "You think Brody want to talk to me?" I'm like, "Yeah." Like he's the coolest. The coolest. <laughs> yeah. Like everyone should go talk to Brody. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, again, like I'd I knew that when we brought on uh, when we brought you on, like we we talked movies and stuff. I was like, I got it. We, we got to bring him on and talk Kill Bill. Yeah. And, uh, you know, of course, for those, I mean, who didn't already see it in the title, we're talking about Quentin Tarantino's, uh, what is it, 2003 film, yeah. Kill Bill, starring Uma Thurman. Um, what's your guys' like, history with this movie? Because uh, just like I've met people who aren't even aware this is like a Tarantino movie because they're not like big film nerds. Uh, but like, Brody, what's uh, what's your history with this movie? Uh, so this movie came out when I was a sophomore in high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would probably just turn 17, maybe let's see. Uh, maybe I was 16 still. I don't know. I remember seeing it in theaters though. I, I waited in line like the night that it came out. I think like the midnight re- or release or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, in high school you don't know anything. So Quentin Tarantino is like God of all cinema pretty much like that. Like that's like, you know, he's the pinnacle of art, uh, to a 16 year old. Um, (laughs) so yeah, I mean, this movie was highly anticipated. I was a fan of all of his work before that. And I, I would say that this is my favorite movie from his. Yeah. But I, I, I also consider kill bill one and two, the same movie i don't they're not separate yeah see that that was the one thing i was gonna bring up with you guys like i mean because he wrote it all as just one long movie and i think it was like uh the wine scenes had to step in and were like all right like you can't put out this four-hour epic that you want but i think it works you know especially like as two movies and like date like what about yourself what was what's your history with the movie well you know, I mean, just to kind of further that uh, thought, there is a cut of it called The Whole Bloody Affair where you can get the whole thing. Um, <clears throat> I want to say, like, when I watched it in theaters, um, we actually went in, we bought one movie, and then we were going to sneak in to watch a second one. 
And I think the first one we snuck into was the Punisher. Mm-hmm. I think the the Thomas Jane Punisher, and then like one Usher was give. Oh, no, no, we watched Kill Bill first. Then we watched. We stayed to watch the Punisher, and this one Usher was like giving us a problem. And he's like, "Hey, I saw you here for the Kill Bill. What are you doing here for the Punisher?" And then he left. Like we gave him some snark, and then I was like, "Oh, I should probably go buy a ticket real quick." So I ran. And I bought a ticket, and he actually brought cops into the theater. <laughs> and then they were like, "Sir, do you do you have a ticket for this movie?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And we pulled out tickets. He looked like a real big dick, but. Um, Yo, imagine imagine being like such a cop loving piece of shit that you like. Yeah. you're that you have that much of a hard on for kids sneaking into movies. Oh. Like if I if I worked in the movie theater, which I had a lot of friends that did, but I didn't, I wouldn't give a fuck. Like I would just laugh and pretend like I didn't see it or whatever. I don't know, just so I don't get yeah. in trouble. See, I famously I worked at the movies, and the only time I was ever a piece of shit like that was I had a little cousin who would come, and this was like a real shitty cousin. Like he was the one little cousin who would like get on everyone's nerves and then like yeah. one of those you know one Always of yapping. one of the more appropriate cousins his age would like snap back and like hit him or something then he'd be like oh like mikey hit me and they'd be like why why did he yeah. hit you he's like i don't know so he would always come and i knew he wasn't 18 and so i was always just like and it's a trick that all teenagers do you know they'll come up and they'll say everyone who's uh, who has their id or who can buy the ticket yeah. you know it'll be like uh can we get you know four tickets to kill bill and then you see the one straggler, and then they'll be like, "Oh, and can I get one ticket to Finding Nemo?" And I'll and I would just straight up be like, "Yo, they're gonna check your they're gonna check your IDs. Like you should all like if it's any normal group, I'd be like, no, all you guys should uh, buy Finding Nemo and then just sneak into it. You know, they'd be like, oh, okay, because they're not stupid. Right. They're they're gonna tell like, oh, here's a group of five people and the one kid. Clearly, the one young kid is gonna go yeah. watch. Like no, but yeah, if it was my cousin, I would always just. Uh, my other favorite ticket scam is. You buy. You have more than two friends, but you buy two tickets. You both oh, go yeah. in, and then one, one guy walks out with two tickets yep. and gives. Yeah, works. That like was a charm. my go. That was my go-to. Yeah. See, well, uh, I famously from again from working at the movie theaters. I played the long con and how I got into one-hour teas and like became friends with Cabana because uh, I would work the mornings and people would come in with their movie passes and in the mornings you worked both the customer service desk and tickets and ticket taker. So I'm. I'm just like taking these movie passes and I'd be like, okay, cool. You're a, you're in theater 12 and people would just leave. And I'm like, I got a, I got a whole free movie pass, free movie pass. <laughs> and I would like give them to Cabana. And then Ryan, you know, from when I were teased, he was like, Hey, do you want to trade t-shirts for movie tickets? And in my, <laughs> and in my head, I was like, sure. Because I like, I didn't even want t-shirts, but I'm like, I know at some fucking point I'm going to need to call a favor on this guy. And now I work here. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I that that is pretty shitty though to go get the guy. Like I, I mean, the satisfaction though of pulling out the tickets was the best thing because then he looked like a dickhead, and, he, he's, and the cops were like, "Sorry to bother you, sir." I was like, "Yeah, I don't know what this guy's problem is." <laughs> but, you, but you know that you know that that guy like tried to become a cop and then like yes. failed the exam, and then he was like rent a cop for the movie theater. Yep. Yeah, but like you know, watching the movie, like I've always been a really big Tarantino fan. Like I, I think most people, you know, started out with Pulp Fiction, obviously, and then. You know, you learn about Reservoir Dogs, and then, you know, you go through his whole catalog. But, like, I love Kill Bill. I don't know if it's my favorite of all of his movies, but it's definitely up there. And I've probably watched it the most outside of maybe, like, Jackie Brown or something. But mm-hmm. I love Kill Bill. Yeah, I mean, I I went to go see it, too. I mean, being the youngest of the three, uh, in 2003, I probably was 
not old enough to be watching it. Uh, but like my cousin just took me to see everything. Like she, you know, anything that I wanted to watch, she'd be like, all right, let's go watch it. Especially because she was into, you know, like she would have known what a Tarantino film was then. Me, probably not so much. But the one thing that stuck out to me was just like how violent the movie was, which again, when you're, I was probably 12, maybe 13, like the coolest thing. And, and then, it was like comically violent. Well, the, the thing that sucked is like I go into school the next day and I'm like, Did you, have you guys, nobody's seen Kill Bill. No, <laughs> like nobody's watched it because I don't know, they haven't convinced their siblings to take right. them or anything. Like as opposed to now where, I mean, if I go watch a super violent movie, I can, you know, I could go to either of you two guys and be like, that's fucked up. Right. Um, but no, yeah, it's, I, I don't think it's the one I've seen the most, but it's one that, like if I sit down and watch it, I'm gonna I'm gonna sit down and watch it. I'm not gonna be on my phone. I'm not gonna be like it's. I always judge a movie how how good it is based on how quickly after it's done. Am I on IMDb just scrolling through trivia? Yeah, you know that's always like the one. And then the next day, just hey, did you know in Kill Bill? And then just start like spewing random stuff. <laughs> uh, but no, yeah, it's it's definitely again like I think. Um, kind of like with once upon a time in hollywood where it's like there's less tarantino as like i mean there's there's a bunch of feet you know you get a ton of feet yeah. and like the the over the top violence but like it doesn't necessarily feel like a tarantino film at times if that makes sense to me like i think this is when he was starting to really like define himself though because i mean with like later movies they film they feel more like kill bill than Pulp Fiction or like right. Jackie Brown, I, f- I feel like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I definitely agree with that. Well, I, what I like is so like Quentin Tarantino, whenever people talk about him, and when you have like really big movie snobs, they always talk about it's all pastiche and he's just copying. And, and, and listen, a lot of the best uh, directors copy and take from other people. But um, the one big thing I think is like when whenever you're watching a Quentin Tarantino movie, and like Kill Bill to me is like the epitome of it. You know he made it. Like there's yeah. no mistake of who made this movie. And like, and that goes down to like all the small little references and like the care that he takes with casting. And he does a really good job by like casting people that haven't been in film for a while. Like he did it with Travolta, uh, adding Gordon Liu as both like Pai Mei and the the leader of the Crazy Eighty Eights was like brilliant. And David uh, Carradine. Yeah, David Carradine. There's just all these nice revivals of like people that you can tell he admired and loved and you know even in jackie brown he had robert forrester who like that revived his career Mm -hmm. he had a second career out of it what's funny like you guys bring up like david carradine who who plays bill yeah and before that it was jack nicholson kurt russell mickey rourke and burt reynolds who were offered the role and like i don't i don't think maybe maybe kurt russell i could see like in that role but like I feel like David Carradine was kind of just the perfect the, choice. Yeah, he was the perfect choice. Because I, I think too, there's in Kill Bill too. There's you know the whole the whole second scene or towards the end of the movie where he's having that like talk about Superman. Like yeah, I I don't know. I love Jack Nicholson. I couldn't picture Jack Nicholson sitting there and having no. a conversation with Uma Thurman. Yeah. Well, like David Carradine has this like uh, this like weird like romance about him like Mm -hmm. the way he talks and and the way he like breaks things down in the movie it's like he's a romantic at heart but like someone like Kurt Russell like Kurt Russell to me is always Snake Bliskin just playing someone else (laughs) and so like I could never see him being like Bill in that role 
Yeah, either that or uh, Jack Burton. I always see yeah. that in every movie he plays. Yeah, like uh, you kind of mentioned with David Carradine, like there, it, like watching the interactions between you know uh, Beatrix Kiddo, the, the Uma bride. Thurman's the bride, yeah. and like Bill, it's like okay, I can. I can see why, like, you fell in love with someone who's old enough to be your father. Yeah. You know, like, that relationship makes sense because there is sometimes in movies where there's, like, the the older character that, like, people are supposed to be pining over, but, I, like, it just... Doesn't make sense. Yeah, they don't always yeah. have that, but there is that, like, mis- I don't know, that mystique about David Carradine that I'm like, okay, like, yeah. I, I can see it. Well, like, to me, like, the like what really, like, kind of sums him up is, like... Spoiler alerts, guys. This movie's really old, but like in Kill Bill, <laughs> Kill Bill volume, volume Two, she finds out her daughter's alive. She tracks him down. She goes into you know this big villa that he's in, and then you know there's this play gunfight, and then later on, he's making like a peanut or he's making like a sandwich for his daughter and telling a story about how their daughter first learned about death, you know, because she stomped her goldfish on the ground. But it's so mesmerizing, and it's also menacing because he's got this giant knife and he's cutting the crust off the sandwich. And, like, so you got, like, this doting father, a loving, you know, husband or boyfriend interest, and then the menace of this guy could kill you at any moment. And it's just all perfect, like, in one scene. Well, I mean, the guy shows up. You know, it's the the opening scene of the movie. He shows up to her wedding and shoots her in the head. Like, and there there is still, like, a morality to him or code to him. Yeah. Because, like, later on in the movie when he sends uh, L to kill her, he, like, he stops. He's like, no, like, that's not a warrior's death, basically. Right. It's what it is. And he didn't need to. And, like, every time I watch that, I don't buy, like, the, no, that's not a warrior's death. Like, it's just, no, he still obviously loves the woman. Right. And probably, no, she's going to wake up wake up from it. Um, but, yeah, like, I mean, even, yeah, like, I, I don't I don't buy that like he didn't immediately regret that because one he knows she's coming for him which is why even like when he's cutting the sandwich and just having the talk like you know at some point at some point he's gonna turn on her as yeah. charming as he is where he's like yeah go go ahead and and watch that movie with with your daughter and you know be all cute like you, the minute he gets the chance he fucking he shoots her with like that truth yeah, because I'm going to kill you yeah yeah. Uh, by the way, for those listening, that is Brody's daughter in the background. In case they're like, man, they're like, what's up with like Brody? Is, he's snacking while he's <laughs> like, he's really excited about this uh, this Kill Bill. Um, yeah, she's but, probably uh, trying to poop or something right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like we we've kind of talked about it. Does this rank like high among Tarantino films as far like with you guys? Like I know you mentioned Brody. Like this is one of your favorites. It is uh, so. I would say Inglorious Bastards, mm-hmm. Kill Bill. I love Django, which a lot, I know a lot of people don't for some reason, mm-hmm. but I love that movie. Um, I don't know if it's in my top three, but it's definitely high up on my list. Um, are we considering True Romance a Tarantino movie? Uh, I, I think a lot of people don't even think about it, but yeah, I, I think that yeah. Counts. So I I just thought about this. I think True Romance is actually my favorite Tarantino movie, and then Kill Bill is like second, and then Inglorious Bastards is probably third. My my favorite scene from True Romance is where, uh, uh, I can't remember the names of the characters now. Uh, you got Christopher Walken's character, and then 
Christian Slater's dad, and they're they're talking about the history of like Sicilians, and he goes, "You're an eggplant." He goes, "You're a cantaloupe." Like we oh, yeah. say that to each other all the time. It's it's the dumb. It's very racist. It's very very racist. Yeah. <laughs> See, I uh, I I really love hateful uh, hateful eight. Like that's one that I don't I don't hear a lot of people talk about. But incredible movie. Very yeah. Like I recently just watched like it was like the extended version, but just cut up into like mini episodes um, on Netflix. That's one that like I again like I won't sit there and rewatch it all the time. You know, but I'll definitely sit there and just like when I watch it from beginning to end, I'm like, God damn it. Is he like just so good at like telling telling these stories? Yeah. To, to me, I think like right around when you get to Kill Bill, you, you start really seeing him. I mean, clearly he's always loved movies in a way that like most people don't. Um, but like right around then and then afterwards, you really start him seeing him kick his art up like. You get Inglorious Bastards. You get Hateful Eight. These are all really beautiful. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. These are all like really well shot, well paced out movies, and they're all love letters to like the genres that they're in. Django. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I don't get the hate that people have for Django. Django's a great movie. Yeah, Django. I think Django is probably the one I've seen the least. Yeah. Um, but every time I got watch it, I'm I, like, I'm just reminded of how how good it is yeah like it's and i think i, I don't know it might maybe because it was like so close to coming out with like hateful eight that, that people were just like ah because like i've they're not like it's not the same movie no. like you have two black leads so maybe that's why people like just muddy the two but i i definitely think django doesn't get talked like django should get talked about way more than it does like yeah and glorious bastard to me that's the one that like I hear people. I mean, obviously, Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. Everyone like uh, when I was in film school for a semester. Uh, funny enough, like none of the kids, because it was all it was all like eighteen year old kids, and I was like twenty one at the time. Uh, none of them were like Tarantino fans, and none of them. It was just interesting to me because it was a lot of the older kids, a lot of people that were closer to my age. It was all like, yeah, you know, Reservoir Dogs, uh, Pulp Fiction, just those tarantino films but like there's a whole younger generation of kids who are kind of just like Meh. those are my dad's movies which <laughs> which which like i get to a point because i admit it like i grew up with immigrant parents like mexican parents who they they didn't know what was you know what was cool what was in the zeitgeist stuff like what they should and shouldn't be watching so i've discovered a lot of things later on in life like specifically with like the oceans movies like i watched oceans 11 one like one night and then just binge watched all four of them that whole night and was like why haven't i watched these you know where they've been my whole life um, and then well, one and one and three are incredible and then is for the all-female cast yeah yeah i actually enjoyed that one i enjoy two is kind of, two is kind of garbage two just takes so long like it, yeah it takes forever yeah it very much felt like oh shit how do we uh like how do we outdo each ourselves last time? Yeah. Um, which I've I feel like uh, Christopher Nolan has now kind of gotten into that. Like uh, how does how do I out Nolan like Christopher Nolan? Yeah. Because I don't know if we talked Tenet at all. Have you seen Tenet? Oh, I I saw Tenet. I I loved it, mm-hmm. but I do not know what the fuck happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <It laughs> like make any I, sense I, to me. I was trying to piece it together at the end. I'm like. I liked it. I don't. I feel dumber watching it. Like I feel like I'm not on his level at all. Well, and and, and that's kind of the thing too. It's like uh, 
like Inception was kind of like that, but I think for the most part, people got Inception. But like, yeah, you know, it, it was really cool seeing what he did like uh, throughout Tenet. You're like, oh, that was you know, spoiler alert again. That was them from like the future, and like things are reversing. But like the actual mechanics, I think were so brain intensive that like my brain broke trying to like think of it. I was like, I don't know what's going on here. A hundred percent. Like I, I, I remember I was like calling what was happening. Like as it was happening, it's like, Oh, I, I knew that like he saw himself or he, or some iteration of that when Robert Pattinson and him are in the um, vault area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but like, I didn't know how. And then when it like all comes together, you're like, wait, what? And then at the end, I'm like, Wait, what? It's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it, 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 it's like one's moving backwards while the other one's moving forwards. And you're like, this is like Christopher Nolan's brain must just be like he he can't sleep because it never turns off. It's a Rubik's cube. It was yeah, straight up. It definitely got very like heady towards the end because the same thing with like exactly how you mentioned. As, as soon as as soon as they don't show like when Chris uh, Pattinson unmasks the guy and they don't show him, and he goes, oh, I was like, yeah. oh okay, I'm like, I, I know exactly what's going on there. And I almost feel like the rest of the movie, it's just like him trying to like... It was just clever. Yeah, because I, we, I mean, we kind of talked about it with, with Effie because he, he'd seen it like four times. And, and we hadn't seen it yet. I mean, I'd seen it, the, I I don't, it. I'd only seen it the one time yeah. then and he was like, just like different. Like one of his theories was that uh, Rob Pattinson is the little boy of... Uh, of the wife that of you oh, know. Wow. yeah it was just like there's and then i like read up on all these theories and again it's that's the i think the fun thing the fun thing with like chris nolan movie specifically is reading all the different theories because mm-hmm. like i remember discovering inception and just falling into a rabbit hole of like oh okay yeah that oh that does make sense and then reading something new and i'm like wait no that other one's bullshit this is this he, is really what's going he really on. is obsessed with time isn't he like Interstellar yeah. was like that. Memento. Uh, Memento. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's all weird time. The prestige. Well, no, not the, not the prestige so much. The prestige, one hundred percent, is like is is like that. I mean, it's like it, it has to do with people being in two places at once, yeah. and then like trying to figure that whole thing out. Yeah. And then and then yeah, inventing tra- time travel. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah, in a way. Yeah, like almost. Yeah, every single. What's his deal with time? I don't know. I yeah, everything it. except for Batman. That's true. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that's kind of why, like, with Tarantino films, like, it, they're always so much more, like, ground. Like, I think the, the one thing that they just, it's always, it's the briefcase in Pulp Fiction. Like, right. you know, there's always, like, oh, it's Marcellus Wallace's soul in it. Or it's just, it's this, it's that. Like, there's always, like, fun little theories about that. But I I think the one, th- the one thing that I enjoy the most of, like, all those films is, like, for the most part, whatever happens, happens. And you, you can either, like suspend your disbelief with like yeah all these dudes did just straight up mur- murder hitler and all these nazis and you know like of course in, in that future that like all these characters living in just nobody mentions it because it's just it's the norm it happened right but like yeah like it's it's definitely that's what i loved about once upon a time in hollywood was that you know sharon tate doesn't die yeah so i so i literally i just watched that two nights ago um very Tarantino heavy week this week, yeah. but like my favorite thing is that it's almost it's like upon first viewing. I don't know about you guys, but like for me, to me, I was like, all right, at some fucking point, 
it's like when you're watching the Titanic, you're like, at some point, it, it, things are going down. Right. So you're watching it in anticipation for like all these poor kids, like they're gonna get murdered, and the fact that like, and then it goes insane. Exactly. Yeah. But the fact that like Sharon Tate, for as big of a character she is in that film, has like five minutes of dialogue, maybe like has almost yeah. no dialogue. Like she is almost the least important character yeah. in the story of like the Sharon Tate murder gets prevented. Yeah. And it, it's very much Tarantino's way of like, yeah, it's, sure. It's about uh, Sharon Tate's murders, LOL. And you don't ever like, it just, it never happens. Right. Um, that revisionist history of his, it's, it, it's, it's fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like uh, kind of going back to this film, um, are you guys familiar with the theory of uh, this this film is is not really set within that Tarantino universe and that it's um, I guess the way he's put it before is that there's some movies that they're all connected you know like right. you have your characters that'll they get referenced in other ones um, but that this it's like uh, the briefcase from Pulp Fiction is in something else or something right that well, that, something that, like that well like some people think that that's the briefcase from Reservoir Dogs that had the diamonds. Oh, that's right. Yeah. But the, but also I think uh, someone there's like characters that are related. Right, like the well, so like in Django, uh, they do a bounty hunt. You know where they're on the hill and they shoot someone. That guy is related to the guy that kept the watch in Pulp Fiction and gave it to Butch. Well, huh. in in Kill Bill Two. There's they bury they bury Beatrix Kiddo at the grave of uh, Paula Schultz, yeah. who is a relative of uh, Doctor Schultz from Django. Yeah, like there's there's little interconnected things like that. But I guess that, like Tarantino himself has said like there's certain movies where like they're all set within same the same universe, but those characters would be watching like a a movie a movie like a Kill like Bill. Kill Bill is Kill Bill is the movie, and then that's why it's such a like all the violence is heightened like. You have blood shooting like twenty five feet in the air and stuff. Yeah, which like I'm, I mean, if it's the guy's universe, it's his toys. If that's how he chooses to play with them, sure. Um, uh, another famous connection: Vincent Vega from Pulp Fiction is related to Mister Blonde in Reservoir Dogs. That's Vic Vega. Yeah, like they there was there was supposed to I think at some point he do wanted a Vega Brothers. He wanted to do a Vega Brothers thing, but it was supposed to be a prequel, and he was like these guys are too old. Yeah. It's like, I, I can't, I can't make a prequel with them. Yeah. Michael Madsen's looking pretty pickled by. <laughs> well, that's, and that I like, I like his like re him constantly like reusing, uh, you know, actors yeah. he's familiar with specifically Michael Madsen. Like, it's funny because to me, he almost like in those films, like it almost like he does look a little grizzled, but like never really seems that old to me until you get to hateful eight where like they have yes. him in really tight, like cowboy clothes. And it just, he looks so uncomfortable Yeah, where I'm just like, Oh, I'm like, you can't dress him up like this anymore. Like, it's just, it's, it's not fun. I think, I think he's, he's also like made people's careers and like made actors like oh, yeah. who they are. I mean, Uma Thurman, probably is one of them mm -hmm. christoph waltz definitely owes his career to inglorious bastards i don't think anybody really knew who he was before that i mean what what was he in before like I, I don't know Argentina? yeah i think but like i think he did everyone writer, was like holy shit he's incredible <laughs> yeah well i think that's the charm too of like tarantino walton goggins is is great mm -hmm. in, in tarantino movies 
the thing with like Tarantino is I that he's very good at like finding finding something for everyone because like I know in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, um, like Kevin Smith told the story of how his daughter auditioned to be one of the uh, Manson girls, and she auditioned, and ultimately they were just like, "Hey, we really like you, but like there's just we don't really have anything for you." And then Tarantino like calls Kevin like not too long afterwards. He was like, "Hey, like I just I just wrote a whole new role for her." He's like, it's it's not like a favor to you. Like, I, I really did just want her to be in this film. And, like, he put... I know he puts uh, Uma Thurman's daughter in that film mm-hmm. as well. Like, she's uh, she's one of the kids, one of the people who are supposed to murder Sharon Tate. She's at the, the one end. that runs away. She's the one that runs away, yeah. yeah. And I think Bruce, one of Bruce Willis's daughters is also, like, in Once Upon a Time. I, I, I forget exactly what it is that she does, but I do like that, like, incorporation of you know bring bringing the kids of these actors because by now it's like a lineage mm-hmm. yeah like that that's always um that's always a little fun but i mean i guess we should kind of just go over real quick what this actual movie is. i mean again i i can't imagine anyone's listening to this and not having seen kill bill one um you know just They're like what's this movie you guys yeah, are talking about? Like, what, are, what are they going to talk about <laughs> who's this bill and why do they want to kill the guy? Uh, but no, you know, again, it's, it starts out, you know, you see Beatrix Kiddo. She gets shot in the head by the deadly Viper assassination squad, um, which like in researching their, their nicknames, like I was like, Oh, like it's specifically with Michael Madsen's character, Bud. do any of you guys know what, what his code name is of, uh, cause they all, they're all named after snakes. Is this Sidewinder? Yeah. Do they ever actually say Sidewinder? Uh, I don't know. I just know that's some yeah. piece of knowledge in the back of my brain. <laughs> I, I think they showed it in the credits. Okay. Like it might have been at the end of volume two where it showed them and then it would show mm-hmm. like Vernita Green as. Yeah. Cause, I mean, well, you have Vernita Green is played by Vivica A. Fox. She's Copperhead. Uh, Oren Ishii played by Lucy Liu, who's Cottonmouth. Uh, Bud played by Michael Madsen, who's Sidewinder. Uh, L Driver played by Daryl Hannah, who famously did not get along with Uma Thurman. Like, for whatever reason they just they hated each other and like had to be kept separate at all times um i looked to see if there was like some more dirt spilled from either of them as to why but and i'll say maybe maybe it's her maybe it's her acting but she seems difficult (laughs) (laughs) yeah but uh she plays the california mountain snake uh and then of course you have julie dreyfus who's not really a member of the viper assassination squad uh she plays Sophie. She plays Oren's like lawyer and mm-hmm. her right hand. Um, you know, they, they show up, they fucking, they cap her in the head and she wakes up. Uh, I think it's like four years later. And uh, this was at a wedding. This was at her and wedding. B- yeah. Bill's the snake charmer. Snake Bill, charmer, yeah, which Bill, is the best name. <laughs> Bill's a snake charmer, which again, like I, like, I think it's just cool enough just to, like Bill. Yeah. You know, they're just like, Oh, it's Bill. Like it, to me, it's almost like with Walter. Like it just sounds like such an unassuming name, but then like, Oh, there's a lot of weight behind it. Exactly. Um, yes, she gets shot in the head uh, at her wedding. Wakes up four years later. Um, finds she kills. A, and she was pregnant when she was shot. She was pregnant. She's dead. She wakes up. She's shocked to find out she's no longer pregnant. Um, you know, feels the metal plate in her head. Uh, at this point, one of the uh, orderlies at the hospital brings in someone. Apparently, he is been doing some not fun stuff and you know letting yeah. people uh rape her yeah because she was- yeah, he's, he's he's uh he's buck and he likes to fuck yeah yeah which by the way the best revenge line too <laughs> yeah oh yeah also who the fuck is gonna hire an orderly that just has fuck 
tattooed on their <laughs> fingers. Yeah. And, and drives a pussy wagon. Yeah, and, and who, drives pussy wagon. That, that's yeah. the I'll say. Yeah. My favorite is watching this movie like on like if you watch it on like TNT or something, it's like, My name's Buck and I like to party. Yeah. Well, and also he's walking around with like gold Elvis gloves or glasses, and it's like, oh, that's not a good look for a, an orderly. Yeah, it's, that's almost that's almost as good as the Big Lebowski. Like, this is what you get when you find a stranger in the Alps. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, well, again, because it's in the Tarantino universe, like I'll, it it's yeah. like sure, I'll, I'll spend my disbelief. But I, if I showed up to a hospital and, there, and I saw that guy working there. I'd be like, there's no fucking way that guy's going anywhere near like my comatose. <laughs> or if you were a supervisor, you'd be like, go home and sleep it off right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Get uh, out of here. Yeah, but you know, she she kills him. She kills the guy that's trying to rape her, which uh, I forget his name, but he's in so many of those Adam Sandler mm-hmm. films. Uh, yeah. Little Nicky. Which is such a weird casting. Like, Yeah. Well, I, I kind of enjoy when he like throws like a left field like i know he tried to cast adam sandler uh in mike myers's role in uh inglorious bastards which i always forget mike myers is in inglorious bastards yeah. until you get to like that specific scene and it's just like oh, oh yeah it's like oh yeah you you are in here <laughs> um uh yeah i mean beatrix she eventually she you know she escapes she goes in the back of uh, the pussy wagon um which tarantino still owns by the way and drove it around uh, I know that was like one trivia that I read. He just drove it around for like a year or two, just that, like until the second one came out, and then eventually wound up in like a Missy Elliott music video. Which, hey man, yeah. uh, and but, then we get to the uh, the mega foot fetish, yes, Tarantino oh, moments, the gratuitous foot. Yeah, like that's the what like the what. Well, what's funny is I just recently watched the movies with my daughter. Mm-hmm. and she's 13 and, and we're watching it and she was like why are they looking at her feet so much <laughs> like she noticed it right up. she's like that's so weird but i was like i think he likes feet and he's she's like really is that like a, a fetish so, i was like don't talk to me about fetishes <laughs> so a, a friend you're, of, you're too young to know this yeah a friend of mine she's super into death like she had never seen she had this like weird again she's a little younger than me um so she had this like no tarantino like you know it's just this old man movie he makes those old man movies that like just she didn't want to watch but she saw death proof because of kurt russell and just like fell in love with it and so great movie yeah oh, great movie it, that's the one movie that i always forgot was a tarantino film so i just i never watched it and then when she was like yeah let's watch it together I was so angry at myself that it took yeah. me so long to watch it. And it's definitely the better of the two Grindhouse movies, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, the other definitely. one's kind of silly. This one's... Well, I think... Death Proof is rad. I think it's all in Kurt Russell. Like, yeah. I don't know if... Like, at what point... I mean, did he ever, like... Not, was it ever not cool to fucking cast Kurt Russell in your film? He was just Snake Plissken again. Yeah. Driving a car. Yeah. But there's the one scene. He's where, the best. Yeah. Oh God, he, Kurt Russell and everything. I actually I just watched the. It was like that Disney movie Sky High where he played a superhero. Dude, the best. He's the it's a good, That's a good movie. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it, there's there's like a a short run of like Disney films where our parents just didn't take us to go see at the theaters. And oh, that, I saw that movie by myself in the theater. Oh man. See, I again, I just forgot it existed. And I was like on Disney Plus, and the, it was just like, "Hey, you love all this superhero shit." I think I'd finished watching like Civil War or something, and it was just like, "Hey, you want to watch a, another cool superhero movie? You should watch this." And I was like, "Oh my god, this! Yeah, I completely forgot it existed." Uh, my favorite part, of course, is uh, 
what's um, what's his name? Ash from The Evil Dead. Bruce Campbell just like shitting all over these kids that have like the worst <laughs> the worst superpowers. Um, damn, I love a good Bruce Campbell cam- cameo. Oh, he's the best. Like he has he has to show up in this next Spider Man, right? He has to. Yeah, if he doesn't, that's a shame. Yeah, well, because I mean, he's he for sure he's showing up in Doctor Strange. It's Sam Raimi, like. You got you got to bring them in, yeah. um, and the car, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I we're, 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 oh, the the foot fetish. So she's like, "Yeah, man." She's like, "Yeah." There's this one scene. This is one specific scene where he's just really focusing on her feet, and it's like when Rosario Dawson is in the car, and he's just really focusing on her foot. And I brought it up to her. I was like, "Oh yeah, well that's his foot fetish." She goes, "What do you mean?" And I had to explain, like, yeah, in all his films, like, and so now anytime she watches you know any tarantino film and there's like feet involved she's just like oh my god yeah there you know what's upon a time in hollywood yeah she's like margot robbie wakes up her her feet she's at the movie theaters her feet why is this guy i'm like hey i'm like this this is the same person who when uh uh from dust till dawn i'm like has a whole scene where uh what's her face is just shoving her feet in his mouth yeah Um, (laughs) he's he's basically making his own porn yeah yeah which i mean hey Good, for, good for him. If it's all consensual, yeah, good for him. But uh, Tarantino loves himself some toes. Yeah. Um, but uh, so eventually, uh, she shows up at uh, Vernita Green's house looking for revenge. Uh, they have this awesome fight scene. You know, like one of my favorite fights, just because, especially because of how like real it feels. You know, yeah. Like there's a lot of sloppiness to it almost at times, and you gotta like think in the back of your head like these are two trained assassins who like, you know, uh, Beatrix hasn't fought in a while by virtue of she's been in a coma for the last few years and you know vernita green she's been in retirement again for presumably the last four years um you know they're fighting till her daughter shows up nikki uh you know they tell her to go to her room uh vernita tries to pull a fast one on her gets a knife in the chest and there's the one scene where if yeah beatrix was gonna like let it not happen there yeah they were they were setting up there i think it was like the baseball field at like at midnight, all black hairs mm-hmm. and ponytail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's you know, see Nikki sees her dead mom and tells her like, listen, if when you're older, you know, you feel some type of way, come find me. And like, which is supposedly the plot yeah. for Kill Bill Three that might never happen. Yeah, like if if it if and when this Kill Bill Three does happen, like I love that it's a simple <laughs> setup as that, you know. Yeah, and you can also involve. You know, her Beatrix's daughter, because at this point she will they probably well, it, the same. It would age. be cool if if BB was her daughter, like a grown up version of like. Oh yeah, yeah, daughter. you could yeah. yeah you could cast her her daughter. I mean, yeah. they're probably about uh, age appropriate. Um, yeah, I mean, at this point, you know, we kind of uh, she goes to Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because she has her list. She's hunting down all the deadly everyone that was. That was there yeah. at the wedding chapel to try to kill her, um, and her friends, and yeah, and her friends, and uh, yeah, that's I, I and Sam Jackson too, who he played the piano player, but just yeah, Rufus gets uncredited. Um, she goes over to Japan. She uh, she finds a legendary swordsman, uh, Hattori Hanzo, uh, and convinces him to get her a sword or to build her a sword. Uh, Which thought, might, this that might be one of my favorite like moments. In cinema, it's just like her going in as this like bubbly, ditzy American, and then just like busting out like Japanese. Well, yeah, and, and, and speaking and speaking to him, guy? yeah, yeah, and like 
yeah, he's like beating up his apprentice, and they like make bad sushi, but because they're legendary swordsmen. Uh, yeah, no, that's it's definitely it's fun. Yeah, because you even see like the the complete shift in tone. Like once she starts asking, like once she starts asking and saying the right things, they're kind of just like. Uh, he, go, he goes from bad sushi man to Hattori Hanzo. Exactly. Um, and there was actually, I saw like one of the rumors that uh, was like common speculation about, because Hanzo, he tells her, he's like, I, I made an oath. Like, I, I don't make these anymore. She's like, well, let me buy one of these. He's like, no, like these, you know, these are just for me to look at. Like, I, I don't make these anymore. And then once she brings up Bill, that's when he goes, ah, all right. He's like, well, it's going to take me a while. Like, you can crash here. And she crashes in like this little hidden compartment where he has all these yeah. all these swords that he's built over the years. Um, you know, he he took this blood oath that he would never make another one. Which, like, if I could have, in if I could have my like master bedroom be designed in any way, it would probably be that room. Yeah, just a wall full of swords. Yeah. Well, no, until those kids get old enough to where they want to start grabbing daddy's swords, and then. Well, I yeah. I got a sword on the wall. Actually, I got a. Same right sword on the wall. Uh, but that that moment when she finally gets her sword. Oh, and, then has, the, and the sword is like singing. Like the metal yeah. is singing. It's beautiful. And then Hattori Hanzo says the coolest thing in Japanese to ever be said in any movie. When he says, on your journey, if you find God, God will be cut. Yeah. That's like one of my favorite lines in the entire movie. Well, there was uh, uh, the, the rumor that there was uh, that I saw going around about like why he swore to never make a sword was uh he made swords for everyone in the deadly viper squad under the guise of like oh these are bill was like these are gifts you know these are gifts for them but then once he found out like what bill's true motivation was and like who these people were that were giving the swords you know he he was disgusted he felt guilty that like at his hand basically all these people had been dying um so you know kind of to balance out the scale of like okay let me make things right that's why he he makes her the sword which you know she he asks her what do you need these swords for and she says to kill vermin Mm -hmm. and he goes you you must have really big rats and uh she also says considering who this is i think you have an obligation to make me the sword so yeah which i mean again like really cool scene and uh, at this point, I think she heads over to uh, Okinawa, or no, Tokyo, uh, to find uh, Oren Ishii because she's next on her list. Uh, you know, she shows up paying uh, homage to uh, you know uh, what's his face, Bruce Lee. Um, she has all, I game think, of death suit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the game of death suit. Uh, really cool scene, you know, where she's like on her motorcycle and just again, which is uh, currently available in the uh, wars, uh, modern warfare war zone. Uh, store right now is a is a skin with the all all yellow suit with a yellow with the helmet, helmet. and it comes and it comes with the samurai sword in yeah the back. Th- that's not that's the outfit i currently have on my character it's it's the coolest yeah it's pretty rad yeah like I th- this scene like when they're in the you know uh i think the five six sevens is the name of like the all-female band that's playing five six seven eights five six seven eights yeah. uh the one interesting the one about this whole movie the whole soundtrack is that it's almost all other music. Like I think he said one Tarantino said that uh, with this, it was just all the music that you hear was like music from his personal collection that he wanted to use it as opposed to, you know, he usually gets like composers to compose these like beautiful scores for it. But um, this particular scene, uh, you know, you're you're introduced to um, 
what uh gogo yubari which is uh oren's personal bodyguard and again the crazy 88 which is her army mm-hmm. and uh you know beatrix knows that she's there and uh w- there's the one scene where she, Go- she gogo's like a great call uh like callback to like battle royale mm-hmm. yeah yeah and apparently there were supposed to be two separate characters one was gogo the other one was yubari but i when again he said it like when he tarantino talked about when writing it he felt that neither character got justice because again they're both just two smaller roles so he just combined it into one and he meant yeah he mentioned battle royale that's yeah. why uh, also gogo came from uh speed racer he was a big fan of the, the cartoon i mean gogo yubari is one of the coolest names well she's also like one of the yeah. cooler yeah. characters you know yeah. like <clears throat> you see her swinging around that like what is it, like a malice basically what it is uh the yeah uh, a mace. mace mace yeah like i hardly and hardly ever besides like scooby-doo do you see a mace being used actually I, th- I think it's tech this is gonna be real nerdy but i think it's technically a flail, flail. because a, a mace is like honest is yeah and a flail has a chain yeah well, I know she knocked out Tarantino by accident because he was standing way too close when filming her fight scene uh, with Uma Thurman. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is that you know she she cuts off the arm of uh, Sophie. Sophie. Yeah, and then she calls she calls out uh, Oshi, which is I guess such a badass scene because everyone just runs for it. And uh, the you know the the famous fight scene uh, it goes in black and white, and she's just chopping motherfuckers down left and right. And it's like the over exaggerated, the blood splattering, mm-hmm. which uh, I mean, again, like there, if, if you have not seen how much like swords and blood there are in this movie, mm-hmm. it was about $60,000 of the movie's budget just on Perfect. sword, <laughs> sword accessories and blood. So clearly they, they were not, you know, like, well, also speaking of like the excellent music and, you know, <clears throat> there's, there's a couple notable like movie moments with music. Like we always talk about like the Freebird thing in uh, Devil's Rejects, but like to me the fight in the snow garden and they're playing that version of Please Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood is like so perfect for that fight. And then like the music cuts out halfway through and then you just hear them struggling. It, it's beautiful. Yeah, well, I mean, then eventually we do get to that part where, you know, uh, Oren and uh, Beatrix, they fight out in the snow. Uh, she cuts off her scalp. Mm-hmm. She she lets... Well, so- it doesn't... Oh, it doesn't. So I, I read, like, some trivia about it where, like, Oren says, like, you're going to... I hope you've been training because you're going to need, like, more than five minutes or something like that. And the entire fight scene is exactly, like, four yeah, minutes and think, 50 seconds. Yeah. I, I think it's at the five-minute mark is when uh, she kills her. Yeah. Well, and then she shows up, and then she says, "Is that a Hattori Hanzo sword?" And she's like, "You liar!" And then when, <laughs> when her scalp gets cut, she goes, "Oh, that was a Hattori Hanzo," mm-hmm. which was beautiful too. Uh, but yeah, and then you know, again, shortly thereafter, you know, she lets Sophie go, and like she just to send the message basically to Bill. And uh, I get it's I always get goosebumps when I get because I remember the first time like watching and sitting down, and you know, Bill's interrogating Sophie. And there's like the line. He's like, "Does she know that her daughter's still alive?" Which, like, of course, yeah. of course, she was still alive. You know, like it. It's one of those things where, like, in hindsight, like that was clearly going to factor heavily into part two. Um, but yeah, you know, at the end, we find out daughter's still alive, and that kind of just leads into Kill Bill too. But like, as a whole, you know, just I, I think this film does again just like a great job of, like, you feel for Beatrix this whole time because. Mm-hmm. 
and, and you learn more you learn more of the backstory between her and bill but like she's just she is just a real like almost feels like one of those like t1000 robots from like the terminator because she just keeps getting her ass and she'll get right back the fuck up like she t- takes out an entire personal army. I don't think there's exactly 88 of them. Yeah, Bill says that. Yeah, where, you know, I think it was more so just the name, but, like, she takes all of them out and just keeps coming. And, like, even when, like, she gets, I, doesn't she get, like, slashed up pretty bad, like, in her back from uh, mm-hmm. Oren? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I. Yeah. Yeah, like, I think it's awesome. Like, I, you know, kind of just, like, as we sort of start to wind down here, like. Um, and then, well, it's, it's super poetic because it's, like, like you said, she's like this T-1000 just ripping through people. And you see a little bit of humanity when she's with Pai Mei in the, in the next one. Mm-hmm. But then like at the end when she's like ready to kill Bill and she like blows through the door and then BB's standing there and she goes, bang, bang, mommy. And she just freezes like she doesn't know what to do. Yeah. And then, and then she like collapses and starts to play with her daughter. It's like that's when the humanity comes in and you're like it just all hits you at once. Yeah. Well, and then. You know, on the other side, we were talking about how menacing, but how also like fatherly Bill is. You know, bang bang, mommy, you're dead. And then Bill says, uh, "What are you doing, mommy? Uh, she shot you. You're dead. So die." And then she falls what, over. And also, like to to comment on the soundtrack, the song that's playing while that scene is happening is like couldn't be more perfect. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, again, it, it comes back to, like, how charming of an actor David Carradine is because, like, you know, we mentioned may, maybe Kurt Russell, but, like, I, I I just could not imagine Burt Reynolds or Mickey Rourke, like, mm-hmm. being in that role and being able to, like, could, like convince me of, like, you are a monster for all intents and purposes. You, <laughs> you showed up to this woman's wedding, tried to shoot her in the head because, you know, she didn't want to be, she didn't want to be with you anymore. Yeah, I mean, to me, like, the sad thing is, is, you know, Tarantino's known for kind of reviving people's careers. I mean, like, uh, John Travolta got, like, a whole big second career just based off of this movie. And that we didn't get more David Carradine because, he, you know, he passed away. Um, but I could picture him in, like, Hateful Eight, Inglorious Bastards. I could see him in all these Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And he would have been, like not out of place at all. He would have been perfect casting for all of these movies, so that really sucks. I, I also love, yeah, with Tarantino, how he'll take unassuming actors. Like, when he cast Brad Pitt, I was like, is Brad Pitt, like, a Tarantino actor? Like, mm-hmm. forgetting about, like, his his early roles, like, you know, he's in True Romance. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's, like, the guy on the couch, but, like, also, you know, movies like seven where he's a lot more of a different Brad Pitt than he became. But then you see him in most spot time in Hollywood. You're like, Oh, he's perfect. Or like Jamie Foxx and Django. You're like, well, like I, I know he, he had started using Michael parks a lot and, you know, unfortunately Michael parks passed away. And so I think that's why in, in hateful eight, Michael parks was supposed to be in it, but he wound up using Bruce Stern. Yeah. I was say, was he going to be Bruce Stern's character? Yeah. And then I, f- I forget who else was supposed to be in uh, I think it was supposed to be Burt Reynolds, maybe, was supposed to be in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Again, passes away. That would have been perfect. <laughs> so instead, they go with Bruce Stern and like... Oh, at the Spawn Ranch? Yeah, at, at the Spawn Ranch. Yeah, so, uh, you know, if, if anything, you have like the... Um, you have that with Tarantino where he's able to like 
find these old like hidden gems and like remind you of just how awesome they are and again like i i love that because it, it it's there's so many there's so many movies out there like yeah. you can't possibly watch everything but when you get reminded of like oh hey check out this there's always just like oh yeah like i i i'll go back and watch this and again just uh, when one gi- when this giant movie nerd gets the chance to like tell you about it yeah like he's gonna fucking tell you about it and not shut up about it. <laughs> yeah. And I think there's there's definitely a, a specific charm to that. Yeah. For uh, for me, you know, as we wrap up, like I love Kill Bill because like, you know, splitting it in the, in the two volumes. Selfishly, when it came out, I wanted the whole thing, but um, of course, I liked that like volume one was kind of like East, and then volume two was more of a Western. I mean, I know that we had the whole Pi May situation, but like it it was almost clearly what, a western compared to the first one yeah it goes back to like you know the spaghetti westerns or like the mm-hmm. zatochi like movies where it, it it felt like that the whole time yeah yeah and i just think uh yeah i'm i always i always like to see what next genre he wants to tackle because like he really nails like in almost every movie he does he when he goes for a genre he goes whole hog and it's like a love letter to each uh section of film so I mean, what would be left though? Like, I don't. I can't imagine him doing horror. A, yeah, yeah, he could do a like, horror movie. A horror movie, because I, I can't imagine him doing like uh, a superhero movie. You know, like people nah, that'd like be weird. Yeah. yeah, like I think he talked about wanting to do like Luke Cage like way back, uh, but it, he wanted it set in like the seventies, um, which would be great. Because I mean, I mean, I think he would make a really good black exploitation movie, like style. You mm-hmm. know, like because he clearly loves the culture. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if the world is ready for something like that, but uh, I, think- I think that's what what a lot of people's problem with Django was is that yeah, uh, Quentin rides a little too hard for it sometimes. And yes, <laughs> <laughs> oh. people are a little weirded out by it. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely remember watching that with a uh, with a girl with a girlfriend at the time, and her looking over at me and going, "Man, this guy really loves to use that." Yeah, N- is this okay? Know, yeah, that guy really loves to use that N word, huh? And I'm like, you know what? Uh, yes and, and it's and it's it's hard to defend because like any weird defense you would make sounds bad but i don't know I well don't you, yeah you try to defend it and then someone plays pulp fiction you're like oh well yeah uh, yeah, uh, yeah that, but i think he's talked about it. i think he's talked about like yeah i probably shouldn't have been using you know yeah the n-word in pulp fiction because i mean within the context of like like a Django or a hateful eight it makes sense yeah you know it makes sense that like these that was thrown around back then. Yeah, that was thrown around willy nilly back then. Yeah. But then when you know when they show up and the whole you know it, yeah. yeah his whole Pulp Fiction scene it is a little like was that necessary? Yeah. Probably not. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess you know. Last question is: Would you guys recommend that? I think it's it's safe to say that all three of us would very much recommend it. Um, you know, any any last words on Kill Bill from you, gentlemen? Um, no, nah, I think we covered it. I mean, it's, it's absolutely probably my top five favorite movies of all time. So I would absolutely recommend it to anybody, especially if you haven't seen it. Yeah. And, uh, even if you haven't seen it and you're listening to this now, um, we're not really ruining. Yeah. You'll anything. forget half of what we said, but, uh, like for me, I, I hold both films very near and dear to my heart. My, my brother got me a, a, a Bud Hanzo sword. Uh, that, you know, it's got the inscription that says to the only man I've ever loved. 
And since then, anytime I try and get a celebrity autograph for one of my friends, I try and get them to write that. And <laughs> no one has like Adam West. I I tried to get him to write that to my brother, and you know, in the instructions, like please write to the only man I ever loved. And then he he wrote on the picture, "Your brother loves you very much, Adam West." Yep. <laughs> Can, can we talk? Can we talk about that for a second, though? Sure. How how Bud just wanted to be such a motherfucker that he said that he pawned his Hattori yes. Hanzo sword. Well, and that that was one of the best moments when she pulls it out and she pulls it out of the sheath, and then you're like, oh, that asshole. It's it's in a golf bag. Yeah. And, well, and, then, uh, the, and how much does he say he pawned it for? Two hundred and fifty bucks, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the, the disappointment on Bill's face. He's like, that was priceless, and he's like. Not in a pawn shop and wherever it's worth two fifty. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah. So so I've got that, um, and then, like I said, I, I watched the movie with my thirteen year old daughter. I mean, there's there's a lot of questionable stuff, but like, you know, I like to give her a lot of rope, and like this was a type of movie I think she could have handled, and she did, and she loved it. Yeah, it's good female empowerment. I yeah. think it it sends a good message at the at the end of it, at least. Yeah. Well, and then like. You know, we're watching that beautiful Hanzo sword moment, you know, where he unsheaths it. And she's getting to the point where she, you know, she's really into anime and she loves like anime swords. So you're going to buy her a sword. I, I bought her the bride's sword. The, the, yes. the one that she saw, like when he pulls it, they pull it out of the sheath and it sings. She's like, that is the coolest sword I've ever seen. And I took a note of it. And then for, for Christmas, I was just going to buy everyone swords. And she, I, was, I was just going to buy everyone yeah. swords. Well, I, I got my oldest stepson, Conan the Barbarian, sword. Incredible. I got, I got my youngest stepson, the sword from The Witcher 3. And then my daughter wanted something from Demon Slayer, but they were all cheap, like real shitty ones. And I was like, I'll just get her the bride sword. And when she opened it up, like she loved it. So like clearly my daughter is cut from the same cloth as I am. Um, it's a great movie. It's a great love letter to, you know, old kung fu movies and westerns, and you know, who doesn't love a good revenge tale? And this is one of the best ones I've seen on film. So, like, yeah, I would recommend it. I I can't wait to show my daughter when she's, you know, it was, ten years old or it, something. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was so cool that she, you know, I'll watch a movie with her, and sometimes she's like, "This is lame, Dad." And I'm like, "Oh, really?" But she loved this one, and I was really happy. So, I want to feel bad for Annie that. She's like, why are you giving my children these fucking, all these swords? Yeah. Like, uh, but yeah, I mean, kind of just, yeah. I don't think either of you two guys have said anything that I have that I, I can say to top it. Like, it's an excellent film. Um, I, I think we all kind of try to consciously stay away from talking too much about the second one, uh, because again, it's as similar as the the first. You know, as as these two films are. There is there is definitely like a difference with with the second one and oh yeah, um, I definitely think that one once uh, things go back to normal and we're able to do this in person, we'll have to record uh, another one volume for two. for volume two. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm thinking I, I got some I got some places to eat in Chicago, so when you guys want to do volume two, sick. I'll fly my ass out there and we'll sit down and do this. Oh hell sick, yeah, sick, yeah sick. we can uh, yeah we can show off the studio with. Uh, all these uh, all these Funko Pops that are just literally staring at me. Whenever we record, I, I always just look around. And I, you know what? I actually when funny story kind of just we'll, we'll wrap up here. But it was when um when I started getting into collecting Funko Pops, I was like, oh, you know what? They make the Tarantino ones. Hell yeah! I got Hateful Eight ones that were like whatever they go for, like ten bucks. Then I see some Kill Bill ones and Pulp Fiction ones, and I was like, oh yeah! And then this was when I learned that. 
I was fucked because I should have gotten into these a long time ago because they they definitely were not ten dollars. They were like a hundred bucks each, and I was like, ah. I was like, you know what? I was like, it's fine. I don't need it. I'll imagine what it's like to have. Yeah. Now like, they're like five hundred dollars each. Oh, God, I've been trying to get my hands on um, some Watchmen ones to the point where I was like, I should just buy the Chinese like knockoffs because who will know? Yeah, I'm like I take them out of the box anyway. It doesn't matter. Uh, but Brody, thanks again, man. And yeah, yeah we definitely we need to get your ass to Chicago to Chicago and uh, record a part two. But uh, you know, thank you to for you and your daughter to, for uh, joining us on this episode. <laughs> Thank you guys for having me. I'll be on anytime you guys want. Fuck yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you again to the wonderful Brody King for that. Um, I'm going to take him up on that offer and have him fucking come out to Chicago. Heck yes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and how awesome is that he's, he's holding his daughter and, and talking to us. I mean, a man of many talents. <laughs> yeah, I, like I, that's why I was like, oh, I need to totally address because because he told us beforehand, like, yeah, you know, my daughter and my dog are here, and then at a certain point, you do actually just hear a baby, and I'm like, uh, oh, yeah, we should probably address it that like uh, there is a baby, you know, there's a baby in the room right now. Um, that's not Brody King cooing. <laughs> yeah, it's not Brody King. Yeah. Uh, but no, again, yeah, like I mentioned, you know, fun episode. And if, Hey, if you like that format, you know, it'd be more of that. Um, if you guys have like, Hey, maybe you should do the, you know, like sure. You can give yeah. us some feedback, but like, I think that's pretty much the format that we're going to go with. Um, and yeah, like I mentioned, listen, you know, we, uh, we're going to be recording some, some more content for that. Um, you know, as we mentioned, but also next week, uh, it'll be, uh, we mentioned, you know, we're going to be doing like a Power Ranger review. It's going to be more bi-weekly. Um, but me and Dave are going to record also, you know, like the, the pilot episode for that and kind of just drop that. So again, you guys will have some idea of what our Patreon will be like, as well as like, you know, sometimes maybe I'll just record random shit with people and, yeah. you know, or even Dave, you know, and we'll just drop it in, you know, every now and then, like, just for for poops and giggles you know um and then hopefully uh i got some news to announce uh next week as well as far as uh a little trip i might be taking um and yeah and this not the kind of trip that matt nicks took uh because i don't partake in that kind of stuff yeah um but yeah dave uh you know with hey with today being day of love what are what are you and annie up to today well, uh, I well, I forgot to tell you this too, so I'll, I'll just mention it on here. So it's it's been hard with you know like the whole quarantine thing that we're everyone's doing to like normally if it's like an anniversary or like a special occasion, I'll wait till Annie falls asleep and I'll run out and get flowers just because like I don't want them sitting here and she, knowing she's getting them. Uh-huh. So you know. Jewel Osco's not open 24 hours anymore, so I had to go pick up Peyton from softball practice, and then we went to Jewel, and I bought, like, three dozen roses, like, one for Peyton, one for my mother-in-law, and, a, like, a really big grand bouquet for my wife, and uh, Peyton didn't see it. I left her in the car so she could listen to music and stuff, but, like, I kept thinking, I was like, I'll just leave these in the van and wait till she falls asleep, and then I'll bring them in, and last night in the chicagoland area it was like negative 35 so when i went to go get the roses they were all frozen solid Jeez. it was ridiculous yeah so i brought them in i'm like oh shit oh shit i think i killed them i'm not sure so i, I put them all in a big vase and a big bouquet 
And I woke up this morning and like half of them are like drooping. I'm like, oh, this looks so bad. So anyways, I got them flowers. Um, we're probably going to go out to eat tonight at a socially distant, responsible place. Um, but uh, yeah, other than that, Annie made me these awesome uh, gourmet French toast uh, things for uh, – for breakfast and some chef on Bravo was making them and she's, she's like, Oh, I, I noticed you like them. So she made me that. And yeah, we've just been uh, hanging out and enjoying each other's company. Um, but how about you? Uh, well, I am a single boy, so yeah. I will not be, um, doing anything of that sort. It's funny. Like I've, um, like I've had girlfriends in the past. Uh, I promise. I, I swear there's been at least one. Uh, but no, like with Valentine's it's always been one of those things where, um usually like we're arguing or fighting around then like i've had like, i've had like one or two like okay valentines There's just nothing to brag home about i like posted the other day i'm like probably my most memorable valentines was uh like i i recorded an episode of a uh, friend of the show and producer of our theme song Braden harrington um he does the up next podcast over at post wrestling where you know he talks uh, him and davy portman both former guests of the show uh review nxt weekly uh davy was busy for whatever reason. it might have been because it was valentine's i'm not sure but Braden was like hey like do you want to review the show with me and i'm like yeah sure let's go ahead and do that so i spent like that valentine's uh recording uh that episode of up next but the only thing was is we talked like that episode wasn't good. I remember that particular episode wasn't that good. So we just talked like Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse for like the first half hour of the show. Uh, and I was like, you know what? I was like, that's probably the best Valentine's Day experience that I had. Uh, but no, today, um, so tomorrow, on the 15th, the day this episode comes out, it's my dad's birthday. And uh, today, myself, my sister, uh, her boyfriend, and the kids, we were supposed to go over to my parents' house and, uh, you know, have dinner and everything. Um, but the, the, both the kids are sick and, uh, so my sister and her boyfriend, they're stuck at home right now, like just taking care of them. Cause they're, I don't not nothing like COVID just both really sick. And they're just like it, you know, they're not going to fucking leave the kids there. So, right. uh, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to spend today. It's uh it's kind of a up in the air right now. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe, listen, maybe I'll go get myself one of those heart shaped pizzas. Uh, or, or maybe I won't because I was, I saw someone made a point the other day where like, if you get a heart shaped pizza, you're paying about as much for a regular pizza, but you're getting less pizza. That's true. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe listen, maybe I'll also go by the store and pick up my mom some roses because, uh, you know, I love my mom. She's cool. You know, she birthed me. <laughs> um, but a lot of people that were like pretty cool though this weekend uh, were all the crazy Republicans that were coming for my neck. Uh, oh, <laughs> so I saw it too. I was like, I'm not getting in the middle of this. Oh, which is the best. So, yeah. uh, spoiler alert: fucking piece of shit, Gina Carano. Uh, which I'm pretty sure I talked about. How I was like, I was not a fan of her. She was just like right. a bunch of like anti-mask, pro-Trump, anti-trans uh, shit that she'd been anti-Semite. Yeah, and that well, it was the anti-Semitic post where she was like comparing being Republican to uh, being a Jewish person in the Holocaust, and it's just like, no, I'm sorry, like what the like, yeah. hey, every everybody listening, let's just all be on the same fucking page and just never compare anything to the Holocaust that isn't the Holocaust yeah. because 
it never one no it never works out no one's ever been like you know what you know blank is just Fair like point. yeah <laughs> blank is just like the holocaust and i've been like huh it is you're just, right yeah you're right no especially like you know like listen people aren't cyberbullying you for being a republican people are cyberbullying you for having real shit takes and just being a really shitty person but apparently disney yep. disney had warned her where they were just like listen man we're gonna keep you around but you'll be like you gotta <laughs> shut the fuck up like yeah especially because she was pissing off pedro pascal who is the lead of the mandalorian and is a very big advocate for uh trans people because his brother is trans or his sister is trans yeah but yeah, I mean, she posted that shit, got fired, and uh, I was purposely scrolling through all the canceled Disney Plus hashtags, just looking for someone to pick on, because I was like, oh yeah, I can't help myself. And uh, <laughs> there was like some, I don't know, I don't know who this fucking lady is, some Republican lady who posted some like, woe is me, and I like quote tweeted it, and I was just like, aw. I was like, Gina Carano doesn't get to be anti-trans and anti-Semitic and keep her job at Disney with a frowny face. So I do that, and I put my phone. Boy, did did everyone come out of the woodwork? <laughs> I put my phone down, and uh, I'm I'm reading. I'm just you know doing my own thing, and then I, I I pick it back up, and because I have like several group chats on Twitter, I I I don't have the notifications like pop up right away. Like I, I'll just have little icons show, and I look, and it's like a hundred little you know like the number. I'm just like, huh what the fuck is that about? And then like I open it up and it's just like, show us proof, show us the proof that she's racist and she's, you're taking away her freedoms. And it's like, listen, nobody's taking away anyone's fucking freedoms. You know, no one's censoring her. She said really shitty takes and this, and the company she worked for didn't want to employ her anymore. So like, yeah. if you have a problem with what she said and listen, there is, there's yes, there was very much, anti-semitic people in europe that you know did not help when the fucking nazi party came around and started you know rounding up all these jewish people correct that is a thing there's very much systemic racism within their own community yes but that doesn't give you leeway to like compare uh, compare that to the holocaust because you're getting cyber bullied online because again you have shit takes on things like oh boy yeah. there was some my favorite my favorite was uh like after that I like I made a post where I was just like, listen, I promise you that I don't care about any of you, like whatever any of you guys have to say, like just don't waste your time. You know, I'm like, if I don't personally know you or know you, like, you know, like through the internet, I'm like, I don't care. And one yeah. guy is like, less than a thousand followers. You're not going to get the Twitter fame. That that you, the that you're not going to get the Twitter fame that you think you are. And so I was like, all right, let me look at this guy's page. 34 followers, Dave. So I, <laughs> I so I quote the exact same tweet that he said to me. And I was just like, you have less than 35 followers. Like, you're not going to get the Twitter fame that you think you did. And it was just like, you know, I, I stopped just interacting with them. There was people, you know, who were uh, on my behalf talking shit, which I love all you guys. You know, I, Whitney and uh, Adam, I, I believe they were the ones, you know, coming uh, for all these people. But yeah, like, listen, uh, fuck Gina Carano. Uh, and fuck anyone that thinks that she didn't do anything wrong because it takes nothing. It takes nothing to just be a good person, you know, to just yeah. not, just, just not be a shitty person. Well, here's another thing too. 
how many of those Jewish people that were rounded up and gassed and separated from their families and had their gold fillings pulled out of their dead teeth, how many of them had people standing for them on Twitter and then also got a movie deal with Ben Schreiber? Like, nothing you went through has anything near a fraction of a percent of anything that anyone in the Holocaust went through. And I and you'll see this every now and again too, like white people saying, This is like slavery. It's like please don't. <laughs> like yeah. if if you're Twitter complaining, it's nothing like slavery. I guarantee you that. <laughs> My favorite is like, it's just as bad as the N word. No, it's not because you said That's that. why you're saying the N word. Yeah. It's like you said it's like you you know, and they're just like being called a honky is just as bad as the N word. And it's like, no, because you said honky and you didn't say the other word. You know? If you didn't censor, you didn't say the H word. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, but no. Just, just seeing these people, like, first of all, like, this is not really political, but I mean, we're starting to see, I mean, we're starting to see, we see kind of where the culture lies along those party lines. But like, you see Republican people and they'll complain about cancel culture. And then what's the first thing they want to do? Cancel Disney. Or I heard a bunch of, what about Pedro Pascal? He was, he was talking about kids in cages. Yeah. He wasn't comparing himself to someone in a cage. He was saying, look at these people. This is happening. I've seen this happen before. He wasn't saying, woe is me. You know, <laughs> look at my plight. And it's just like the amount of hypocrisy you often see from that side um, you know, they'll complain about getting ratioed. And I saw a bunch of people comment on you. You got ratioed by the, by the mob. And it's just like the things that they complain about the most seem to be the things that they just wish they thought of in the first place, you know, like canceling people and stuff. It's just, listen, how about this? Whenever you have an urge to compare yourself to a Holocaust victim or a victim of slavery or any other horrible thing that's happened to groups of people for for nothing other than their religion their color their gender think about you're sitting in front of a comfy computer complaining about it and then realize nothing that's happening to you is anywhere close to any of that and maybe just shut your mouth and take a second yeah just just i don't know you use that use that thing that we all have inside of our you know inside of our skulls it's called the fucking brain uh but hey speaking of the you know the cast of the mandalorian pedro pascal got uh this this guy's picking up fucking movie you know movie roles and tv roles left and right uh he got cast in the last of us uh along with uh, uh the little girl from uh, game of thrones i believe she played bella ramsey or that might be her actual name bella ramsey bella ramsey yeah is that her actual name that's her actual name, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, but she's Liana Mormont. Yeah, she's yeah, Liana Mormont. Um, listen, I've not played The Last of Us. I admittedly, I I bought it and then should one. Yeah, but like with everything else, work. Um, but no, I'm very much excited for it. I want to start playing that and the second one. I mean, the show's not coming for a while. They just cast it. Um, but no, I mean, like, hey, good, you know, good for them. Like, I know you said that uh, you didn't necessarily agree with the casting choices. Um, yeah, I mean, you'll understand if you play the game. Like, it's very, it's very hard. There's a very specific way you see Joel, and only because of the way he's characterized in the video game, it's hard to think of anyone playing him. So I guess, but like, Pedro Pascal's a great actor. Um, and it's, it's really nothing against his acting or, you know, I'm sure some people have a problem with his ethnicity because Joel's a white guy and Pedro Pascal is not. But, um, 
I, I'm actually intrigued. I'm excited. Um, I think the casting of Ellie was pretty inspired. We'll, we'll see how that works out. Um, but, you know, Last of Us is great. It's such a great game. And again, a lot of the other people that don't like representation in media hate the series of The Last of Us, which is why I think it's great that Pedro Pascal is in this. But um, no, it's going to be pretty cool. I'm pretty excited. And I, I really do think like as soon as you can play it, you should play The Last of Us. It's really one of the best games of all time. Yeah, I'm, I definitely need to get on it because I remember people said that forever about uh, God of War 4. And I was yeah. just like, yeah, I'll get to it. And then once I got to it, I just religiously – I played it religiously and was so so upset with myself that it took me forever to, to fucking – to finally, like, play it. Especially coming from someone who, you know, I literally bought a PS3 so I could play God of War uh, 3. Yeah. Um, but no, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it. You know, like, HBO tends to put out really good stuff. And so many people speak in such high regard about – um the last of us and plus i love pedro pascal you know he's yeah he's for a while now has been one of those actors who every time i would see him in something i was like oh holy shit this guy's awesome and then you know when he got cast in the mandalorian i was like hell yeah let's fucking do this i think that really opened up a lot of people's eyes to it it's good to see he's getting more uh headlining roles now because of that so yeah, good for yeah. him yeah no definitely good for him um, but Dave, this week, uh, again, it's been a little bit of a long episode, so we'll go ahead and wrap it up here. Um, but again, thank you to everyone who's uh, stuck around and listened. If this is your first episode, go back and listen to some of our older episodes. You know, we have such episodes with guests like the Young Bucks, Colt Cabana, Killer Cross, uh, Elena Black, now known as Cora Jade, uh, Kylie Ray, uh, the Jericho Cruise episode. Jericho, I always, I always hype up the Jericho Cruise episode because it's just, it's like a for people if you haven't been on the Jericho Cruise and you're wondering what it's like um listen to it you know it's a fun little kind of like in the day of um like probably probably one of our longest episodes because it's so much uh like I, my favorite is like the one segment where i keep redoing the, like my intro and i'm just like god damn it fucking michael because he wouldn't stop coming in and out of the room and it was just like what i gotta use the bathroom or like some stupid shit like that uh but no really you know really fun episode so go back and check some of those out and again if you can go ahead and leave us a five-star review on itunes it does help with the algorithm that helps people find us um but uh you know it's that time of the week now where i've run out of things to say and i too have run out of things to say so all right guys well for the pwt cast i've been scrump and this is stank and this is friend of the show kenny omega kenny omega here friend of the show we've run out of things to say here at the pwt cast and so i must bid you adieu goodbye and good night bang bang <laughs>